You're listening to the Burst Ball Podcast. Burst Ball, talking up the Scottish game. Hello, you're listening to the Burst Ball Scottish Football Podcast with me, Hamish Carton. This is our start of the week show where we review the action from the top four leagues of Scotland at the weekend. Goals, goals, goals is what we have for you today. There was hundreds of them this week and we'll be reviewing all the major talking points, all the big games. As well as that, we'll be looking at the Scott Allen transfer in case you missed all that. We haven't had a chance to talk about that yet. We'll also be talking about our very own Lewis Kemp, who's with me in the studio, his article that went up on the, the Burst Ball website yesterday, raises some interesting questions about the future of BT and Sky to do with Scottish football, and we will also be looking at the, the loan market for Scottish teams and what kind of positive or negative effect that has for our clubs. So I mentioned Lewis Kemp's in the studio, I've also got Callum Fisher here in the studio, how are you doing guys? Uh, not bad, thanks Amish, it's nice to be here again. It's nice to have you here. And we also have Connor Park on the line all the way from the Bonnie Falkirk Stadium. Afternoon, how you doing? We are the nicest podcast out there. We're also nice to each other. Yep. No, no one ever are. disagrees. Well, where do you guys want to start? Start with Hamilton, surely? Well, that's probably the place to start. New Douglas Park is as good a place as any. And it's interesting you bring that up. Before, before we go into this, I'm going to play a wee short clip from last week's show where we all predicted a comfortable win for Hamilton. Hamilton against Dundee United also on Saturday. We see Dundee United as big favourites for that one. I think um, the pace that Dundee United have shown recently up top, they look uh, very dangerous, lively. It's the young players that, that will excite. And when you compare that to the front line of Hamilton, um, I think Dundee will edge it on that front. They need to find goals from somewhere. And I just don't think that the weekend will see them get the goals that, that give them the win. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's the same. It's the same problem every time we do this with Hamilton. You know, where are the goals going to come from? Ali Crawford apart. Hamilton, Dundee United. I'm going Dundee United. Dundee yeah, United. Dun- pretty straightforward, there, I think. So we all predicted um, Hamilton to to lose that fairly comfortably on Saturday. However, they turned in their performance of the season so far and scored four goals. Callum. You wondered where the goals were going to come from for the new Douglas Park side and they all came on Saturday. Thoughts? Um, I think it shows that obviously, well, first it of all... It shows we don't know a thing yeah, about Scottish football. It does away with any credibility that we had, obviously, um, myself and, and Connor, uh, especially after our comments there. But I, I didn't exactly cover myself <laughs> in glory either, to be totally honest. Um, but, I mean, it, it's very impressive. I think it's um, it probably highlights more where Dundee United are at than where Hamilton are at, I think. Dundee United are just you just don't really know with them at the moment. You know, we all talked about if going forward obviously they did look better prior to the game, but they were just Hamilton were just fantastic, I thought, uh, at, at, at the weekend. And I just think that's a bang average Dundee United side. I really do mm. led by a less than average manager to be to be quite honest mm. with you. I know you were you saw the game, Lewis. You've seen it in full, so tell us, kind of fill us in with what <coughs> happened there. Yeah, I've I've just written down here, uh, Dunn United, dear oh dear, because <laughs> it was a complete capitulation at the back. 
And I think it was quite telling after the match, both managers, you know, they said that United were chasing the game. Um, I mean, it just, it just even just looking at the highlights as well, it's so obvious to see United's defence was all over the place, you know, always second to every ball, you know, no desire from, from United at all. Uh, and then and, and McNamara after the game comes out with this excuse that they were tired after the Dundee game, which makes absolutely no sense considering Dundee should be more tired because they were chasing the game and in fact won the game in the, on Saturday. Mm. So, I mean, just a complete humiliation really for United and, and for Hamilton, you know, credit to them, you know, it's a fantastic result. For me, it's, it's maybe not indicative of you know where they'll end up this year. I don't think they'll have too many more four 0 wins, but you know you can't take anything away from them. This is a fantastic result. It's a hell of a confidence booster. Mm. Obviously, we were talking about you know how important it is if you're if you're predicted maybe to be down there to get some some good results at the start of the season, and certainly, obviously. Hamilton have struggled a wee bit um, at the beginning of the season, but that is that's a brilliant result for them. And I think we were talking about as obviously we'll come on to the the Partick game, but we were talking about it being a springboard for those two sides last last week if one of them were to win or whatever. For that Hamilton, there's no better point now for them to push on and and really get themselves away from from uh, any relegation trouble. Is Jackie McNamara's time in short supply at Tannadice, Connor? I think it depends who you ask, really. Um, fans have started to make noises that they want him out. Um, but I've always said, you know, if a manager has belief in himself, and you know, he would like to think that he will believe that he can turn that around. He lost a lot, a lot of players recently within the past six months or so. Um, and with that in mind, he's going to need time to rebuild a team the way he wants it. Um, the biggest problem Dundee will have at the moment is with younger players comes inconsistency. And I think we saw it with like so with Blair Spittle, uh, it's the first name that comes to mind, you know. He tore Dundee apart for a large majority of that uh, derby back last midweek. But then, you know, for, to lose 4 now, he was evidently, you know, didn't really perform to the levels that, that he's become expected of. Um, and that's just what happens when you play players that are at that age that they come and they go and it's important for Matt the Man now that he brings in or is given the funds anyway to bring in a couple of people that will help to steady the ship um, and bring a bit of consistency about but he needs the backing of both the fans and the board in order to do that and time will tell whether they're willing to give it to him Will he be given the backing from the board? <sighs> it's, it's, I mean, it's hard to say. Um, I, I think I think all signs at the moment indicate that the board are, are fully behind them. But um, just just kind of moving to McNamara, you know, in sports scene that you know they were talking about um, how he's been uh, protected by the media by being you know grouped in with this you know young crop of uh, managers, you know, guys like uh, Derek McInnes and uh, and Robbie Nielsen and uh, Hartley. Hartley, Paul Hartley. Um, and he's he's almost kind of escaping a lot of criticism because of that, you know. Don't get me wrong, he's done very well with Partick Thistle, he got them up and, you know, a very good first season. But, you know, Alan Archibald has done just as good a job as he's done and yet, you know, he's went to United and for the team, and I know they've lost a lot of players this year, but even last year and, and year, year previous as well, they've not really, I don't think they've really maxed expectations or, or, or really fulfilled the potential of that team. I think just on that point, um, as you were saying about McNamara there, I think he's done absolutely nothing to be mentioned with, with those three. Um, for me, you look at the job McInnes has done with probably the best Aberdeen side since they were maybe challenging in the 90s. Mm. Certainly, um, probably in the last 20 years, Exactly. Partly the job he did prior to Dundee and now at Dundee, continuing to improve them season on season. 
and obviously now we're talking about Dundee being a top four, five side, um, and, and Nielsen as well, the job he did at Hearts last season, albeit you know the competition maybe wasn't as great as it should have been in that league, but now he's pushed on and shown that this is a really um, formidable Hearts side. So I just think, as I said earlier, McNamara to me is a, a very below average manager that if Dundee United were to have any aspirations of getting anywhere near the likes of Dundee, uh, sorry, anywhere near the likes of Aberdeen, uh, Hearts, maybe even Dundee, um, then they would need to they would need to change it. Obviously, I don't see that coming after three games, but I think if this continues, come October, November, maybe it may maybe time for a change. It's always the case in these these kind of games when the the big team in Dundee United's case um, go down to such a big defeat that we talk about the big team's failings rather than the. The, the lesser fancy team's strengths. Um, do you want to talk up Hamilton a bit for his loose? Yeah, yeah, well, uh, I mean, Hamilton were just just fantastic. It was really reminiscent of, 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 of the run of, good run of form they had last year. Fantastic, you know, pressing uh, pressing for every single ball. And, uh, you know, the, the attacking play as well. Ali Crawford had a fantastic game. Uh, Gar- Garcia Pena as well. And uh, right at the back, you know, was solid for the full game. Never gave United even a, even a, a slither of a chance. And uh, you know, I think the problem is 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 maintaining this level of performance and going on throughout the season. And you know, for me, you know, I kind of live in and around the Hamilton area, so I speak to a lot of Hamilton fans. And I remember even just what, a couple of years ago they were saying, you know, uh, and this was the season that they get promoted with, uh, you know, beating Hibs. And they were saying, a lot of them were saying, you know, we don't want to get promoted. This is this is too soon for us. Uh, this is a young team, and we need to build it. And uh, what also they were saying was that, you know, they were very inconsistent. You know, because of the young team, they're going to have, you know, good periods and bad periods. You know, when they, when they play to their full potential, Hamilton could beat anyone in this week, bar maybe Celtic, Aberdeen, Hearts. But, you know, when they, when they aren't at full, full potential, you know, they're, they're quite a bad side. And, you know, I'm still not changing my opinion. I still think they will be relegated, but I won't be surprised if they have a couple more results similar to this as the season progresses. We were one of the, the first two people to get a look at Hamilton this season, Connor, and I think it's fair to say we talked them up a wee bit. Were other people a bit too quick to talk down them in terms of the likes of Nadi as well, who scored at the weekend? Well, I think when I saw them, I definitely saw potential. Um, and Nadi, as much as I will never say he's a prolific goal scorer or will be a, a magnificent football player, he looked leaner, he looked fitter, and he looked like he would do a tough job. But at the same time, he's not going to get you, you know, twenty plus goals a season. But as you say, if he can get you the, a decent enough toll and provide link up play for others, which was what seems to be going on Saturday, then that's always a positive. Um, it was interesting yesterday. I was at um, a press conference with Peter Houston, and the conversation about McNamara and United came up, as did the conversation of Hamilton. And obviously, the name two are obviously linked after Saturday's result. And, you know, Peter Houston said categorically he feels that Hamilton will not be in any danger this season. He was very, very impressed by them. And he can't see them being in any problems at all. There's teams in that division that will finish below them quite comfortably. So there certainly seems to be a kind of mixed bag. I think, you know, it's maybe quite easy to write Hamilton off just looking at them face value because it's easy to say things like you know, Christian Nadi up front, they've got crowds of less, well, that are only just in top of the thousand mark and things like that. But when you actually see them, maybe you pick up a different impression and maybe the results like Saturday will make people sit up and have a look and maybe reevaluate their opinions. 
It certainly made us set up on Saturday. Anyway, that was our, our tip of the day. It was Dundee United to win at 17-10. to 10. Laughed out of town with that one. Connor, I'll stay with you and we'll move across the, the Tannadice Street to Dens Park. And uh, a good victory for Dundee. Back to winning ways after a couple of kind of FA-ish results. They beat St. Johnson. First of all, I'll ask you about Dundee and your thoughts on their performance. Well, I thought they played um, reasonably well. You know, I think... With Dundee at home, I think it will, there will be an expectation on them this year that they, they do go out and get results. Another another really good crowd. Yeah, at, uh, that was something I picked up on there as well. You know, but then again, Dundee have always had that. Um, it's just now you know over six thousand fans there. It's great to see. I think that Jordan actually had a decent support up with them as well, with it being um, local. Twenty, and 20 minutes you know, away. They've got likes of Keith Hemmings up front who, who scored with a header. But they're also getting goals fed in by other members of the team as well. That's James McPake scored on Saturday in the first half as well. And that set them up. And I think they made a, a kind of a decent start, you know, and that's that's key because I think with, with Den's part this season, you know, if you get going and you hit teams early, then they'll struggle to come back on you. Um, and... You know, I think there was maybe in the early stages a wee penalty shout for St Johnston, which wasn't given. But I think after that, pretty quickly, Dundee took the lead with McPake with his volley uh, high in the, the net. And I think, you know, they always looked like they were going to be the team that scored, despite St Johnston pulling a goal back. Um, I think, you know, obviously Nick Ross had a couple of chances near the end to shore things up a bit. But overall, um, a very convincing in many ways win for Dundee. But what's you know really stuck out for me looking at them is you know the quality they've got, um, looking even at the substitutes they're able to bring on. That you know when you look that you know they had people in there like Sadaro Meggett who was at Aloha last year. He can come on and it's not like you're bringing on a youngster. You're bringing somebody who is still yes, a bit unproven in the Premiership, but has got a point to prove and, and is a good player. Um, it's good, like Simon Ferry, who I believe had a, a de- very decent career down in England on the bench. Gary Irvin, who's been there for a number of years. So there's very much a, a kind of strong core to the squad at Dundee. Um, and they've continued to make a good start. But I, I do really believe that Dens Park will be very key to them this year. But tough, a very, very tough place to go for, for the vast majority of teams. Um, and if they can use the kind of crowds they're going to get there to their advantage, which will only continue to increase if the performances stay at the same level, then they're certainly going to give themselves a great opportunity to not just get in top six, but, but push on even further. In terms of St Johnson, another defeat for them. They are one of the only teams, I think, to without a win this season. They currently sit in 10th position with only two points from their first four games. Callum, are we a wee bit, a wee bit worried for St Johnson this early on into the season? I don't think so. I think as I said. I think I said it last week. I think St. Johnson will be fine. Um, for me, obviously they're playing. They've played Dundee. They are who are a side in, in in very good form and who are a bit. Well, they're just a better side, obviously. Um, for I think all of us would agree. So I think I still think St. Johnson will be fine. I think there's worse teams in that division than them. There might be a bit of toiling at points in terms of you know floating around the relegation zone I, I can't see them maybe finishing any further than 8th perhaps by the end of the season but I don't think they'll be relegated as I say I think there's worse um, teams in that division um, and I think you know Tommy Wright there is a good enough manager to get them away from any trouble The only problem I see with them is that 
you know, apart from Hearts on the opening day, the past three games would all have been games that Tommy Wright would have felt his side should be able to take three points from. Now, Dundee, I know we're in a different dimension this year, but certainly Inverness and North County, two games that they've drawn, they would have been an expectation, I would assume, and I would, if I was a St Johnston fan, would expect at least three points out of one of those two games. I think it's different for other teams. We say like the Kilmarnock, they've had a tough run of fixtures in terms of, um, I think, Aberdeen and Celtic and all that. But it's different for St Johnson because I do firmly believe that, looking at those first four fixtures, I'd have been aiming for six points out of that and they've only come away with two. That's the thing. I mean, um, and we'll come on to it when we talk about the Hearts-Ross County game as well. For me, Ross County are a, are a better side than people are giving them credit for. And Inverness are still, you know, the side that won the Scottish Cup last season and did very well in the league. So I think to say, I mean, obviously St Johnson would be going in trying to win. They'll probably go in and try to win every game, obviously. But to, to just throw it away and say, well, they would have expected six points for them to not have six points of disappointment, I think that's maybe taken a wee bit away from the two other sides they've faced who... You know, Hearts and Dundee, it's very easy to talk up at the moment, but I think people need to realise as well that Ross County and Inverness are still two very mm. decent sides there. Ross um, County top six at the moment? Ross County, as I said, we'll come on to it when we talk about their game against Hearts, but Ross County, are, I think, are one of the... have started off as, you know... The way they've started, they've been one of the better teams in the league so far. Um, I think, as I said... Uh, they're not getting enough credit simply because of the way Hearts have started, uh, the way Dundee have started, the way Aberdeen have started, and then obviously you're talking about, you know, Celtic being the big sort of story in that league. I think just going back to St Johnson, <clears throat> I think they had a kind of similar start to the season last year, and um, I think the problem is that um, they, they, I think ever since Stevie May left, I think they kind of lacked some firepower up up, up top. But you know, for me, I, I, you guys are kind of writing down their chances. But actually, I, I do think uh, St Johnson are one of these teams that will grind out results, and I'd actually feel that they uh, they probably will be top six this year. I just think it might take them a bit longer to grow into the league season. Mm. You brought up the the tantalising prospect of Ross County Hearts. Let's talk about that, Callum. Uh, I thought that was a cracking game. Actually, um, there was a lot of chances, a, a lot of really good football on show. Uh, Ross County pushed Hearts hard, obviously. Um, Hart scored two two good goals as well, and I was really impressed by Liam Boyce for for Ross County as well. I took, thought took his penalty well, exactly. Didn't he? Um, and I mean, there was a bit of play as well where I can't remember the Hearts player. He managed, to, he, sorry, he kind of shimmied past and and, and forced a good save from Alexander, um, who again I, as well. One thing I've noticed watching Hearts is the fact that Alexander has pulled off some really important saves for them so far. And I mean, he is a, he's a fantastic keeper. Um, I, I've always thought anyway. Uh, but it was a two good. It, it was a good game between two really good sides. I think you can see that Hearts are most definitely going to be in and amongst that top three or four, um, and that Ross County will be will not be an easy game for anyone this season. Your thoughts on Hearts first corner? Could they perhaps finish in the top three? Yeah, I think they will. Um, you know, I think they kind of they're not steamrolling like they did last year, but. I think they're comfortable, and I think they've been comfortable in pretty much all their matches so far, which to me suggests they're a class above what's going to be below them. Whether they've got the impetus and the, the kind of the steel about them to go and challenge Aberdeen, Celtic, remains to be seen because they've not played them yet. 
But certainly in all the matches they've played so far, they look just a class above everyone below them. And that's, you know, if, if they're a class above them, there's no one that's going to go higher than higher than them. Sorry. Um, and for me, they will comfortably be in the top three this year. The point's been made that they've had a relatively easy start to the season. We've got to remember they've beaten St. Johnson, Dundee, who both finished in the top six last year, Ross County, who have been improved, and Motherwell, who aren't a bad side either. So it's not exactly been or oh, you've you've played kind of the the absolute worst teams in the league and beaten them comfortably. You've, they've played some good sides and they've they've got maximum points. They're sitting top of the league after four games. That's the thing. I think obviously if you maybe out with Celtic game and not necessarily um, with Celtic either. I don't think there's any easy games for anyone in that league. I think you can there's positives um, and, and negatives for e- for e- for each team in the yeah. league. Obviously, with the best example is earlier we we talked down Hamilton last week and then they go and win four nil um, and and. I just feel as though Hearts are, are improving. I certainly thought defensively that they can still be got at, but at the same time, you're looking at it and to bed in a sort of new defence, especially when you've you've lost the leader back there and Danny Wilson, the captain, the guy that, that was organising it all and, and, and things like that, to to start a new season in a new league, in a tougher league, and then as well try and bed in a, a different sort of back four. Obviously, you've still got... Patterson and Ozturk there as well, but um, and, and Alexander behind them. But it, but it is difficult, and I think once they can, once they're more solid defensively, I think they'll be absolutely fine. Because going forward, I would say they're up there with the best in the league. I think just going forward now, I think it's just all about momentum. And I think um, so. I was in an article with Tim Vickery done about um, it was about River Plate winning a couple of Libertadores and how you know they were relegated in 2012 and uh, in fact the last four four winners were relegated sometime in the, the last 10 years and the point he was making that uh, it's not the worst thing in the world when you get relegated because you have the chance to regroup and, mm-hmm. and b- b- build momentum and I think that's what Hart's done uh, and I think it would just be really interesting to see how far they can take this momentum and how, how far they can go um, I, I, I mean I think the problem with Hearts is that um, a similar to Aberdeen is, will come when, when they face Celtic uh, I mean, the last week they played Celtic a few times last year, and they were handily uh, beaten, really, by Celtic. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they match up this time with you know a year going by. If that could be a new tagline. Forget talking up the Scottish game. It could be burst ball the podcast from Dingwall to Buenos Aires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so let's move from Buenos Aires to Glasgow, East End, to be precise, and Celtic with a four-two victory over Inverness. I was in attendance at Celtic Park on Saturday, and I thought um, I thought Celtic played really well for the first the first half. Anyway, very similar to the game at Partick Thistle the week before, and that they moved the ball well. They were really short and snappy. Probably probably the best I've seen Celtic um, play certainly this season. There's real signs ahead of the Malmo game on Wednesday night that we'll come on to later on that uh, the team's starting to click into gear. I think it's clear to see how much Scott Brown brings to the team. He was excellent in the first half. For me, man of the match, I know it was given to Stuart Armstrong probably for his two goals, but Scott Brown for me was man of the match. He went off in the second half, so did Armstrong to be fair, and the team seemed to slip into a bit of carelessness, culminating in Boyata's well-documented two kind of mistakes that led both led to goals, both really well taken from, uh, I think it was Christie the first one, and Lopez the second one, really well taken um, Near Beaton was excellent again I think he's going to be a big player for Celtic on Wednesday night In terms of Inverness, I mean you could pick a fault probably with every goal They were really poor defensively, their marking for the first goal was really poor The second goal, 
I mean, let's be honest, Lee Griffiths shouldn't score a header against anyone. He's not the tallest. Um, what what do we make of Ryan Christie not starting the game? I mean, Hughes talked him up last week, and then I think he said that he could play for Scotland, and then um, he wasn't even in the starting lineup for one of their bigger games at Parkhead Showcase game. Well, you you look at the kind of player Ryan Christie is, and obviously when teams come to to Glasgow um, against Celtic, you're you're looking at trying to keep it tight um, and and seeing what you can get. You know, first of all, trying not to concede, and then seeing what you can get um, when you do get your chances. Uh, for me, the way Inverness played was was like it was you know like that. They weren't trying to to really. There wasn't the sort of flair that you maybe associate with how Inverness played last season, for example. And I think they were just. I mean, it's difficult because these more expansive players and and the, the wider players and things like that. When you go and play Celtic at Parkhead, it's always a bit of a conundrum because I think that Celtic defence, as they showed, are there to be got at. And a player like Ryan Christie certainly can cause them problems, as he showed as well when he came on. But at the same time, if you open up too much, then Celtic will just will pick you off. Um, so it's it's a bit of a difficult one uh, for me. As I said, I think that Celtic defence is there to be got at, and, and I would have started them if I were in John Hughes's position. As I said, he took his goal really well. The boy, like Matumbo up top, looked a handful as well. Looks as if he could turn a man. He had his back to the goal. A few times, to be fair, it was with Virgil van Dijk and he managed to turn him. So I think he, look, he looks a real handful. Um, in terms of Inverness, we'll come on to Celtic in a minute ahead of Wednesday's game. In terms of Inverness, Lewis, are we a bit worried for them after their start similar to St. Johnson? Uh, yeah, in a way. In a way, it's just um, there's kind of no way they can match the expectations that, that last season brought. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just go back to Ryan Christie as well. I have no idea why he didn't start. Like it just, it just baffled me that he went, especially after you know what, what you were saying. He was you know talking him up earlier in the week, and he never really started him unless he maybe he's he's got maybe he's going to move to another club and he wants to save him. But I, I'm I'm no idea to be honest with you. But um, yeah, uh, it's hard for Inverness. You know they've, I mean, getting beat by Motherwell is not ideal, especially at home. You're not wanting to to win that. That was the first game in the season, so. I don't know. Um, I'll be interested to see how they kind of go on from here, but I think the problem for Inverness is just ma- matching the expectation of last year, really. Connor, how do we how do we look at Celtic ahead of Wednesday's game against Malmo? Are they in good shape? I think so. Um, they've got a, a kind of they've made a lot a lot of stronger start um, this year than what they did last year. They they kind of look like they've got a bit of steel about them, and they know how um, Ryan Dyer wants them to play, and they're a kind of He's about about the squad, you know. They know what they're doing. Everyone knows their jobs, and they're get they're getting through games fairly comfortably. Four two the weekend there. Um, okay, the last couple of goals, and that will worry any manager. But they seem fairly strong. It's a whole different kind of ball game going into European football. But I think what we've seen from Celtic this year, which differs from one in the past, is that they have got a steel and determination that will kind of grind out results. And I think it's key that on Wednesday night they do take a win, they, they get themselves in front, because I believe they've shown the defensive qualities recently that they can go away from home and defend, but they need to have a lead to do that. I think it was just interesting how the media kind of, after the match, they were talking how you know Celtic had their foot off the gas in the second half, and a similar thing happened against Ross County in the opening day as well. And, and Partick Thistle to a lesser extent as well Although Partick didn't score They did have their best chances late on I don't think Kelly pa- as well I don't think Partick were good enough to score that game In, in my opinion anyway But I think 
the media kind of focusing on this and saying, oh, this might be a problem for Malmo. But for me, the the bigger problem against Malmo is is, is Bayata. Really, I just I'm I'm really not convinced by him so far. I think he's I think he's taking too much time in the ball and and he's losing it very very often. I I, I just worry. Um, when he's going up against you know these these better forwards and and European competition, maybe not just even against Malmo, against maybe if sort of getting Europa League or Champions League or whatever they're going, I think there might be an idea that, or maybe a good idea for Celtic to bring somebody else in. Let's talk about Jason Denier. I think mm. yesterday coming back in, also Gary Hooper would there be two signings you'd welcome? Absolutely. Like I think last year's a set of defensive partnership between Denier and Van Dijk was. Probably one of the best Celtic have had in almost like 10, 20 years or so. Certainly since the Seville team, it was the best Absolutely. one. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you know, Huber's a guy that you know he scores goals, and um, and, and that's what we need. I, I, and you know, Huber for me was always a player that was he, he was a big game player where he was always you know, he'd always turn up for the big games, but a lot of time he was he was sometimes maybe lazy. He was he was a goal scorer really, but I think you know. I, He'd be a useful player to have. Let's be honest. You know, I think I think any Celtic fan would take him back in a heartbeat if you asked him. To be honest, personally, I don't think you should touch Gary Hooper. Um, I think Denier, yes, he's shown he's got that partnership with Van Dyke. But when you're bringing back a striker for a second spell, there's just too much a risk for me. You know, I think you leave the past in the past, uh, and you'd find somebody fresh from, from the guy who supports the team that re-signed Lee Miller yesterday. Yeah, that's true. It's very true. Um, I just in saying that though, was Lee Miller as prolific at Falkirk the first time as Gary Hooper was at Celtic the first time? Yeah, yeah. No, it was more tongue in cheek that comment. Uh, so um, you know, I just feel that he would come in with enormous expectation, and sometimes the second time round you can never live up to that. You know, um, I always just like to think that you know bring somebody fresh in. Fair enough. If he doesn't, if that's what they they opt for, then I don't doubt he'll do a job and. It would be decent signing for Celtic, but I'm just one of these people that have got one of these things, you know. If, if it's gone well, and especially for a striker, I just think, you know, a striker can create so many, uh, you know, positive memories with a fan base. Um, there's no point in the kind of tarnishing that, if you like. I, I mean, I, I understand where Connor's coming from, but I think you have to take it on a case by case example. Uh, certainly, Coming from a Rangers point of view, you look at it, Kenny Miller came back, second spell, was probably better than he was in his first spell. Third spell. But well, I was just going to come on to that. Second spell helps us win three league titles. You know, had an incredible um, first half of the season before he then left uh, in his last season. Third spell he came back, I think, probably wasn't used properly as well. Um, and now... That he has been used properly, scoring goals again. So I think it, as I said, it's a case by case basis, and I think it depends certainly on on how you were to use him. Obviously, Hooper's not got the sort of advancement in age that Miller has had since he's he's came back for his third spell. But I mean, I would say it just depends the attitude the player's got. If he's coming back, does he see it as a step down, um, or is he like he's, or does he feel like he's back at a club that um, he's fond of? And he wants to do well for the fans uh, and recreate memories that he's had there. He's had there before, um, but I would say to counter um, Connor's argument there, I would say a good argument, uh, a good argument for that is just to look across the city and see how Kenny Miller's done since he's he's been back. Let's talk about him being on thirty-two grand as well, uh, which maybe wouldn't be worth it. I don't think Peter Law would pay that anyway. 
Anyway, I want to move on and ask you about Wednesday night and predictions, first of all, for Wednesday night and then for the tie as a whole. Oh, it, it's really it's very hard to predict because I've, I've obviously not seen any of Malmo, so you know you, you don't really can't really predict how they're going to play. Um, I always have heard that they're very good at home. One, one thing we do know is they beat Salzburg three yeah. 0 in the last yeah. round. However, you can counteract that by saying Salzburg have lost. I think the likes of Campbell and Soriano, and someone else. I think Allen maybe as well. And um, also when Salzburg played Celtic last year, Celtic are a much better team now. So you can counteract that, but. At the end of the day, they still did beat Salzburg 3 now a team that beat Celtic comfortably last season. I mean, it's not going to be easy. They're obviously a very dangerous side. But um, I think I think the key is Wednesday night, really. I think if Celtic have if Celtic have a good lead on Wednesday night, and I, I, I don't know if 1-0 will be enough this time, I think we need at least a two-goal cushion this time, and then just try and try and hope that the the, get the game in the next week it goes the way that Celtic hopefully would expect it to go. It's, as I say, it's a difficult one to to predict. Malmo are currently sitting sixth in the in their league, uh, in a league that I would probably say is more competitive at the very least than than the Premiership. Um, right, I'm going to bring you up on that for a second. I'm going to I'm going to tell you the league <sighs> table right here. And I think the bottom eight clubs in our league are separated by five points. I, we're three games in, four games it's, into it's, our season. Oh we no, sorry, there. sorry. The bottom eight are separated by two points. There you go, two points. Are we talking about? Where are we talking about here? Premiership. Yep, we're talking about from fifth to twelfth. Two points we between are four, them. We are four games through our season. Two but, points. But they're, about, they're about they're about halfway through theirs. But even last year as well, like um, out with Celtic, every any, any team could be any team on any given any given weekend. Except really. when they played Aberdeen. I can, I'd argue a lot of teams can beat Aberdeen on the, on that day. Mm. Anyway, on to your point. I think Celtic will get a positive result at home. But I think Malmo will put them out because, and I've said it before. I think I don't think this is a good Celtic side. I didn't think it was a good Celtic side last season, and I don't think if you're saying it's a good, if it's a better Celtic side, I wouldn't agree with that either. Um, certainly, the fact that you've got Boyata instead of Denier um, there, I don't think Griffiths is quite necessarily good enough in Europe. I think if you if you were to have Hooper in there. Then I think you would have more of a chance because I think he's a. Well, I think it's clear he's a better player um, than Griffiths or Chief Chief. I think Cooper would probably only come if we got into the Champions League. Yeah. I doubt he would come. But that, I mean, I mean, and otherwise. the thing is there as well. I just, I just think, I think Malmo. I've said it before. I, I, I always thought you would get to this stage, but I don't think you will get past this stage. And it'll be a tight game. It'll be a tight tie. I think. Um, I think Celtic can go through. I just don't think they will. Connor. It's going to take um, a great deal of kind of steel and determination, and it's vital that they they take a lead out of tomorrow night's game. I do believe they've got the qualities to go through. I think they will go through. It'll be tough. It'll be a battle. It'll be a fight. But I think they've shown recently, and and there's been a progression since Roy Adela come in that they they do have that fight and the mental toughness to get them through and I would expect and I'd like to see Celtic into the group stages of the Champions League See, sorry just how you were talking about the Swedish League there mm-hmm. and the competitive of competitiveness of it from first Gothenburg are first and June Gardens are currently sitting sixth there is five points between top mm-hmm. and sixth Let's talk about Motherwell against Aberdeen now Lewis yeah, I think Aberdeen were in control for most of the game. I think they deserved the win. Uh, I think they, they almost kind of grew into the game first half. They were 
a wee bit shaky. I think uh, obviously Motherwell got the lead, obviously, uh, and but I think you know big positive for Aberdeen is that I think even like a couple of years ago it shows him how, how far they've progressed because a couple of years ago under you know, the likes of Craig Brown, I think they, these are the type of games they would have squandered, but. Um, no, I think they were fully deserved of the win. Uh, and but I think in terms of Motherwell, I think just the two goals they conceded, they'll need to they'll be pretty disappointed with those two goals because they were pretty shambolic defense defense wise. How would you sum up Aberdeen's start to the season, Lewis? Um, it's been a possibly a bit of a mixed bag. They had their, their kind of good European run, then clattered out to Kira Almaty, but they've started domestic football well. Yeah, yeah, I think domestically they'll be very, very pleased with how they've started. I think in, in terms of Europe, you know, they'll be happy that they, they had that great result against Rijeka, but then obviously uh, that, that's kind of. Um, that result was kind of nullified because they got bet by Kara Almighty, and, and really I think they probably should have beat Kara. So, uh, but I think domestically they'll be very, very happy. You know, this is you know nine points from from three games, and you know they can't really ask much more from that. Aberdeen go for the next four games are playing Hearts, Dundee, and Celtic. This is a, this is a big couple of weeks for Aberdeen. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they get on. How do you how do you view that kind of race they've got going with Hearts, Callum, Aberdeen, and Hearts? I think, as I said before, we've all been pretty impressed by Hearts. Um, and I would say that certainly they will push Aberdeen, but I just think because Aberdeen have been there last season um, and have done it before, I think Aberdeen will probably just just edge it. But I think it will be interesting more if, if if we're talking about where Hearts will finish. I think the it will be it will be Celtic will win it. I think then it will be weird because I think it will split into sort of it will be Celtic. Top by a few points, and then Aberdeen second by a few points, and then Hearts third by not a lot, but by a comfortable say eight points, something like that. And then you'll have the rest like Dundee uh, and and the rest making up the top six. So I I think they'll be uh, they'll do well this season, but I just don't think they've got quite enough to 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 really push Aberdeen um, for second. Is that something you go along with, Connor? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know. It will be tight at that that kind of top end, and I think it, it remains to be seen what the difference is. I do still believe Celtic will run away with that wee bit, and I think it'll be very much Aberdeen Hearts at the top, kind of battling it out. But I think as Lewis alluded to earlier on, you know, the next few weeks will really tell because with Aberdeen having those tough fixtures, if Hearts can push ahead um, and can keep the one and run going, then you know potentially you could see gaps begin to form. But certainly, I think it'll be the, 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 that's the top three definitely. And after that, I, I imagine there'll be a fair gap. Maybe Dundee pushing in there and fourth, and maybe Tucker in and not too far behind. But apart from that, I think there will be a, a major difference in the kind of league placings and and the tightness at the top. Let's talk about Motherwell then, and they had a a great start to the season with that win against Inverness. We're all thinking they could be reborn under. Ian Barraclough after his first real chance to get players in, they've lost they lost a few players, they've added a few players, we're all thinking this could be the new Motherwell, maybe back to the heights they had under Stuart McCall, however it's gone gone a bit kind of wrong for them. They've had a difficult couple of games though, I mean Hearts and Aberdeen are not and I mean Dundee United as well they really probably should have won that game but yeah, I think it's the same kind of problems last year with Motherwell, you know they're kind of almost kind of gifting goals to their opposition Um I, I do think they look a bit more solid. I think they're better organised this year. But, um, you know, again, just the same problems that persist, you know, with gifting goals. You know, the, the two goals they conceded were just shambolic defensively. You know, they never should have conceded those goals. I think a lot of it was, was due to their goalkeepers. It just has no... 
has no awareness and uh, and I don't think he has really any authority with his defence either. Um, so I think next week we've got a huge game against uh, St Johnson and Perth, and I think for for both teams, I think they really both need to win this game. One we were thinking of going to, I think, after our Tannadice visit on Saturday morning, sort it out Scott Ray and get Lewis and Hamish off to McDermott. Because that will be a really, a really big game for them. What have you made of Motherwell's start, Callum? Uh, again, I think it goes back to what I was saying last week. I think we all need to readjust um, our, our sights a wee bit when it comes to Motherwell. I, I don't believe that they're anywhere near as good as the side that finished... Um, second a few years back but then again I don't believe they're as bad yeah. as the team that finished 11th last season um, I think I think it's the same as St Johnson I think they'll toil around the relegation area for a wee while um, at some point during the season but as I said I think there's probably teams that are worse than them there and, and will probably I'm sure they'll avoid um, a similar situation as they had to go through last season Final game of the weekend was at Fur Hill. I said this could be a cracker on last week's preview show and it turned out to be the case. I think it's fair to say Partick Thistle deserved to beat Kilmarnock. They hit the post and the crossbar both through Chris Doolan. Chris Doolan also scored both of Partick's goals and he looks as if he's going to be a big big advantage for, for the Jags to have him back in the team. I think for the second game in a row, Jamie McDonald saved Kelly after Wednesday's game against Celtic. A player I know Connor knows very well from his time at Falkirk and it seems as if he's continued on that that form he showed last season for Falkirk in the cup run up until the final. He's continued that on at, um, at Kilmarnock this season. The the general consensus from that game is that it, it could and should have been a similar scoreline to the opening day of the season when Dundee beat Kelly 4-0 but the difference was that Thistle didn't take their chances Um the Kelly, Kelly midfield didn't look great again. It was Hamill and uh, O'Hara in the midfield and they didn't they didn't look great for Kelly. They were overrun. For Partick, the positives were that Sean Welsh played 90 minutes. I think I might be wrong. I think that's the first he's played in a long time kind of since his knee injury. And um, he's obviously the club captain, so he's a, a big big bonus for them to have him back playing football. Chris Doolan, as I said, was, was really excellent. Um, even without his goals, he would have been man of the match. The big turning point, I don't know if you've seen it, was um, the boy Lindsay sent off for Partick Thistle for the last man challenge, pulling back O'Hara. What did we think of that? Did we think that was a, a fair decision to, to send him off? I yeah, I think so. Um, I believe that, you know, you can't really have too many complaints. He's, he's tugged them back and it's just one of these ones where the referee's kind of left with no opening. In my opinion, I know there's always... Ways you can look round about and say, "Ah, what about that?" or that defender running in. Yeah. But it was yeah. a it was a strange one though because O'Hara kind of lost his way and it didn't look as if he was going to sprint away from Lindsay, but it was last man. But I mean, Ross, uh, Ross Clark from our podcast, the referee, is the first one to tell us that there's no rule that is last man. It's a goal scoring opportunity. Was that a goal scoring opportunity? See, I know Ross says it's a rule. I, I know it. I know it is the official rule, but I, I know something just tells me. You know, if a referee sees somebody getting pulled back, I do still think the whole last man thing must. Yeah. It must come in their head. Yeah, it must. No matter what you see, the rule is everybody thinks of this whole last man thing, um, and and my and, and my opinion, arguably, if you're the last man, then you're denying a goal scoring opportunity unless you're like way out in the wing and if you're way out in the wing then you're not getting a red card um, to me if you're running in any sort of central position 
and you're the last man, then you're denying a goal through an opportunity. I don't see how you can't be. So for me, it was a, a red card. And, uh, you know, no matter. Personally, I can see where the gripe would come because, as you say, maybe he didn't completely have the ball under control, but I, I do think it's a red card for me anyway all day long. I just I thought it was just a wee bit harsh on him. He made the mistake, Lindsay, and he was punished completely for it. And I mean, I don't know. I just think that maybe that role maybe needs a bit of a looking at. I think it's totally different to the, the whole Jackson Irvin one in the first day of the season. Irvin's going at pace. I still maintain that was a red card for Craig Gordon. And uh, that one, I, I just thought the way O'Hara, I know the referees can't take into account who it was. They need to just take into account the position that happened on the pitch. But I just thought O'Hara, O'Hara wasn't beating him for pace there. I don't care what anyone says he wasn't, because O'Hara had lost his way. If anything, you could argue it was just silly from Lindsay just to pull him back. I mean, he could have got back in position and, and defended it well, or there was there was maybe cover coming afterwards with the time O'Hara had taken to control it. But I just, you could maybe argue that um, Lindsay's naivety and his stupidity got him sent off there. Well, he's, he is younger. Um, and, you know, it's just something that he'll, he'll learn over time. Um, I think what would overlooking the game overall what would worry Kilmarnock the most is that they were playing against a team with 10 men you know and they yeah. still looked very mm-hmm. poor and I also think it's very interesting because Doolan a player that um, if I remember correctly you know was almost out the door at Thistle in January um, and you know I think there was clubs interested in him He was dropped for the last couple of games anyway but I think it's a testament to him the way he came in and he performed so well. He took his two goals really well. They were both really good finishes. But then again, he, he could have been could have been four goals for him easily because he smacked the bar with one and he, he kind of hit the outside of the post early on in the first half. Uh, in terms of Kelly, I think Stevie Smith had a good game. He's probably Kelly's best player. He looks like a, a good signing for them. An interesting story. Apparently, Ali McCoyst and Kenny McDowell were at the game and um, they left about 10 minutes before the end of the match. Of course, Chris Boyd then scored the late equaliser, so make of that what you will. But um, I thought that was a bit of an interesting story. Also, did you see did you see Chris Doolan's um, celebration from the first goal with Kingsley joining in? Actually, yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> I thought you'd enjoyed that, Connor. I did. I seen the wee, the wee sunny hang running towards <laughs> him across the front of that stand. How to, how to ruin a goal. I know, but it just looks like his head's about to fall off every time it does it. Uh, favourite favourite mascot of the year, Kingsley. No, mind the Sammy Tammy. <laughs> um, in terms of those two teams, has that result changed anything from from your opinions on the two of them in terms of the, the relegation fight this year? Uh, yeah, just just what you were saying there. You know, I didn't actually watch the game; just the crappy highlights and sports scene, unfortunately. But um, no, no swearing in this podcast. Oh, sorry about that. The crap rubbish. Swear word. The rubbish. The, the rubbish highlights. No. Um, just what you were saying, you know, uh, Thistle, you know, it should have been more four or five now, or it should have been four or five goals, you said, with Thistle. Um, something we, I was at the Thistle uh, Celtic game, and it was something kind of similar, you know, we were just talking earlier about Celtic putting their foot off the gas, and Thistle never really punished them. And uh, obviously, the, the signs here are, are very, very similar. Now, Thistle, it's a weird one because you know, I've always rated their, their front line. I think, you know, like I, I've always talked about Chris Doolan. I think he's a goal scorer. And he got a lot last year. I think it's maybe like, I mean, 15 goals or something last year. And, you know, when you're, your team at that end, end of the table, you know, that can that can really, really do wonders for you. In terms of Kamarnock, um, I think, I think Kamarnock, they need to grow into the season. And I think they need to get Boyd off the mark. I think it's good that he got that goal. 
and I think that for them they just need to be hoping that he's going to be the guy to save them just like he did uh, two years ago I think he needs to get off the mark and, really, and, and, and establish himself and score more goals for them Biggest winners and losers from this week's Premiership matches it probably centres around the one game to be totally honest is it as simple as, as Ham- that? Hamilton winners and United losers yeah. Yeah. Simple as that with that, we'll move on to the Scottish or the Ladbroke Scottish Championship, and we'll start with Falkirk. Falkirk with a one 0 win over Wraith Rovers, and uh, uh, does the result reflect the the way the game went, Connor? Well, I would say so. Um, I think Falkirk shaded it um, in terms of possession and, and, and chances. Uh, Kevin Cuthbert made a couple of really good saves from Bob McHugh, and I think. You know, we're still just. I don't think we're totally there yet. And I think I got that feeling from you know the coach and the staff after the game that they still feel some improvement to come. But we're certainly going in the right direction. You know, we held it tight. We didn't lose a goal against a team like Wraith, which can be vital because if we were to lose a goal, then you can imagine them sitting right back and, and struggling to break down. The red card for um, Kyle Benedictus. It was a. But it was two yellow cards, so you couldn't really have any arguments. It was two yellow cards that weren't actually um, wasn't anything conspicuous about it. It was two clear yellow cards, so he was off. Um, and from there on, we pushed forward and pinned them right back. And it actually came from a wonderful strike from Mark Kerr, which is something you don't hear of very often. But you know, he hit it from fully maybe twenty twenty five yards from he picked the ball up, first touch, got out his feet and placed it in the bottom corner with kind of a bit of pace on it. So it was great to, to get the win in three points, and it already kind of makes sure that we'd, we're not left behind as we have been in recent seasons. Um, Wraith, though, I thought, looked very good, and I think they will push for the top four. Whether they make it or not remains to be seen. I doubt that. But what they have got there is good experience, a lot of positions, um, and they certainly put up a fight. They actually had a couple of great chances with almost the last kick of the game to make it one each. Luckily, for for, for Massey, anyway, they both went wide of the target um, and Falkirk were able to hold on. And I just think for a team like us who have really struggled at the start of the season recently, to get four points out of the first two games isn't bad. Um, with a good crowd there, so hopefully that encourages them to come back and hopefully, the, well, as I'm kind of alluded to before, I believe there's still business to be done at Falkirk in terms of players coming in the way, um, which also started yesterday with Lee Miller signing, which I think will prove to be a very good signing and a different option up front. Um, and, and, you know, I, I do think a lot of positives can be taken fr- from the past few days. How was the pitch looking? The pitch? Yeah, after after we churned it up last Sunday in our 15-1 defeat. Oh, it was, it was magnificent as ever. Is that uh, the the best display you've seen on that pitch in the last week? No, I have <laughs> to say. It was interesting though. I watched the game differently um, on, on Saturday. You know, I, I saw, you know, Luke Lee there with shadows of my performance at left back and, you know, I was just, I was in awe of, of, of the display out on that pitch, you know, and I had a, a heightened respect for the men out in that park and, you know, watching how they were trying to replicate what I did the Sunday before. <laughs> <laughs> on that, um, no comment on that We'll turn to Easter Road Hibs back to winning ways after their, their slump in the opening week They beat Morton 1-0 Yeah, um, Morton went there and, and, and were decent You know, uh, They had their chances But Hibs were, were fairly comfortable for, for the whole game um, 
Cummings obviously getting the goal, and I think for Hibs now that the Scott Allen saga is out of the way, that it's about them trying to push on, put it back, put obviously a poor start to the season you would say, um, and behind them, and, and trying to kick on. Obviously, it's a big game for them on on Sunday at Ibrox, uh, but I thought I thought they were they were fairly comfortable. But Morton certainly showed that they've get they've got more than enough um, to stay in the division this year. I thought it was interesting how Cummins didn't start. He still scored after 17 seconds. I know, I know. It just seemed mm. bizarre that he, he wasn't in the starting 11. He's maybe heartbroken after Scott Allen left. I, I, I know. He's, he's, sent him a, he's missing his buddy. A sentimental message on Twitter I saw um, <laughs> something like, All the best buddy will miss you and my team, or something like that from, from Cummins. Um, in terms of, of Hibs, what, we'll come on to the whole Scott Allen thing later on and his move to Celtic, but what do we, we make of how Hibs have done out of the deal in terms of Liam Henderson and possibly Dylan McGeoch? I actually think they've done very well at the deal. Uh, I really rate William Henderson. I think he's a terrific player. I think he actually showed a lot of promise in a lot of the friendly games that Celtic have played and that I've, that I've seen of Celtic uh, so far this year. Uh, in terms of McGee, was like, you know, he's a player that I've always rated at Celtic and he was never really given a chance. And Some of that's his fault and some of that's the fault of injuries. But uh, he he done very well last year for Hibs, in my opinion. And I think that if they can get these two players, that is... That is a real, real statement of intent for Hibs, and I think they can really push on if they get these players. St Mirren with a, another defeat there. They're in eighth position now, not the start that Ian Murray would have wanted his tenure at St Mirren Park. But we'll, we'll talk about, rather than talking St Mirren down, we'll talk up Dumbarton, Connor, and um, a, a terrific win for them. That's They've now beaten Hibs and St Mirren, two of the top teams in the league in back-to-back weeks. It's absolutely fantastic for them. You know, I feel... I always felt Steve Aitken was a very good manager. And I remember when the job came up at St. Martin, I, I, he was kind of my tip. I would quite like to have seen him get the move there. But, you know, the Barton have taken him. They started the season very well. I think they have been given great credit for what they've done in recent weeks. I don't doubt that, you know, from what I've heard, it's a kind of typical Barton side that, that I, I saw last year. You know, they were very good. They, they caused Falkirk a lot of problems last year. And, would often pick up results against us. And simply what they do is you know, they sit back, they soak up the pressure very, very well, they're strong defensively, and they hit you on the counter-attack at pace. Watching the game, I think I've watched about 10, 10 15 minutes of highlights back of that match, um, and I could see that happening again. So Mirren, the home side, obviously were expected to dominate. I wouldn't quite say they dominated, but they probably had slightly the clearer-cut chances. Um but still the Barton persevered. And it's that kind of, you know, great kind of mentality of, you know, part-time but fighting in there with the big kind of, the best of them, which will get them through a lot of games this year. Um, And, and, you know, massive credit to them. A great start to the season, but, I mean, for St Mirren, I always felt there was going to be one team out of the predicted top four that would be left behind. Um, And that was because of the, the way the fixtures worked. I didn't think it would be St Mirren. Um, personally, but I, it was just like um, it's a hard one to explain. But I just feel that you know they need to recruit and add players in. I believe there's things about Andy Webster, but I don't think at the back is where they need, they need to make signings. I think up front they're, they're definitely missing something. Um, Lauren Shanklin has been talked about for some reason. I'm not convinced. I think he'll go in there, and some other fans will be pleased with that signing. But personally, I'm not sure he, he would go in and overhaul 
And I think what's been given to show with I've looked at like the Falkirk trying to recruit a striker, St Mirren trying to recruit a striker, there's not many out there that are within these teams' budgets in the Championship are also players that are willing to drop down a level. It would have been different had St Mirren, you know, been the only team in that league taking away Hibs and Rangers, or the same for Falkirk. But the reality is, players are going to have to sign contracts with teams like St Mirren and Falkirk, knowing that for the next year or two years, there's probably no guarantee they'll get back up to the Premiership. It'd be different if you were signing a two-year deal, knowing that are very likely to go up this year and you're going to have at least a year in the Premiership. But to try and entice players can, can be difficult. Um, and that's where the downfall will probably be, in my opinion. But as for Dumbarton, fantastic, fantastic credit to them. Um, they fought, they dug in deep. Um, and it would have been very easy for them to sit back and, and sink after uh, that wonderful strike from Scott Agnew to level the scores. But they didn't. They kept fighting, and although it was a penalty, you know they, they had to get in the box in the first place to win it. Uh, they pushed forward. They got the penalty. They took it very, very well, and it was a you know a very uh, would have been a very pleasing victory for for Stevie Aitken. Yeah, we're really impressed with the Martin start to the season, um, and a, a good win, a terrific win for them on Saturday. Time for Queen of the South Corner now And Lewis God. Kemp uh, Your time to shine Livingston now Queen of the South 1 The resident Dunhamer amongst That's us it. here That is it, your new nickname Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of uh, worrying times really For, for Livingston and, and the signs of this performance um, you know, me, me and Hamish obviously we saw them earlier uh, when they're playing against Real Sociedad, you know they, they looked pretty average then. Just uh, wondering why Real Sociedad are getting a mention when we're talking about Livingston Queen River of the Plate South and Real Sociedad <laughs> getting a mention. Well, well, that's the last time I've seen Livingston. I've not actually you know seen them in the flesh. That's the first time I've seen them. So that's what I'm comparing it to. Nevertheless, um, you know only one 0 but you know Queens had a lot of chances to make it even three or four. In fact, they had a disallowed goal, Derek Lyle. Probably uh, would have was quite unfortunate not to not not to actually get the goal. Um, what happened was uh, Jameson, the, the goalkeeper, he kind of sort of kind of fell into the house and and, uh, and kind of bundled the, the ball straight out to Lyle on the edge of the area, and Lyle just kind of dipped it over. And uh, the referee obviously uh, wasn't didn't agree with with this goal, and, mm-hmm. and it was it was chopped off. Uh, but for for Livingston, it was worrying. Um, you know, no no real control in midfield. You know, very little threat up top. Your know, positioning was all over the place, and I think the only kind of danger uh, Livingston had was through you know their, their set pieces, their corner kicks. Uh, you know, in terms of Queen of the South, you know, I deserve three points rather than maybe a comfortable three points. I think, um, and I think you know, but they've, they've got to be happy with their start to the season. Mm. That's six points. So re- really from, from good six. one for them actually. Yeah. It's not. I saw Livingston a couple of times already this season, and um, they've impressed me when I've seen them. I think right. they move the ball well, and I mean. I've been laughed at a bit now, but I tipped them for a top five finish this season. I think I'm starting to doubt that a wee bit, yeah. even albeit well, I said after two Murn games. would finish second, so you know. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe I think I think what we've discovered this week more than anything else is that none of us have a clue about football, <laughs> and it's, it's as blatant as that. But um, no, I was I was um, I was a bit surprised to see Queen of the South win that. I've, probably because I've just heard Queen of the South been talked down. Probably by um, Connor in the main this season. They've been written off really badly because of the players they lost. But I think, but see, in fairness, the, the the games they've won have hardly been games that that's a shock. You know, I'm sorry, but if, if Queen of the South are, aren't beating Livingston, I think it was a problem in many ways. I think there would be an expectation that they would be beating Livingston. You could argue that they've played Alloa and Livingston, the, the bottom two from last year, other than Cowdenbeath, in their, their first few games. 
Uh, anyway, I want to talk about Alawa now. They played Rangers on Sunday, and Rangers came out a very, very comfortable 5-1 win. I think that's one we called last week. We expected Rangers to win that very comfortably, and so was the case. Yeah, I, I, again, it's um, another really good performance. Uh, I would probably say out of the, the games we've played so far this season, that was that was the best one. Uh, some really good goals. Some, I mean... The park, I think that's probably got to be one of the worst synthetic surfaces I've seen. Is that uh, just because Al McCoy's disagreed with it last year? No, it's got none to do. No, none to do with that. The fact that, well, the fact that we we went there and, and we won five one after struggling there um, last season shows the improvement in, in the side. But um, we moved the ball well again. Wallace and Tavernier were fantastic. Um, yeah, something they actually talked about this in sports scene about the the way Rangers are playing, kind of utilising the wing backs very similar to Celtic. Do you think that's a that's a good way to go about Rangers? Well, I think the way they do it is they push on because we've got two full backs that are as good going forward as they are defensively. Although you know, I don't think they've actually been tested too much defensively, but I think. Um, the way they go forward, it's just it's fantastic. I mean, the way especially Tavernier seems to just constant Ta- Tavernier is Derek Ray correct? Yeah. Everyone on, on Sunday. Yeah, the way Tavernier gets beyond the fullbacks, the other team's fullbacks um, is is fantastic, and he's probably one of the you know the fittest players I've seen at Rangers um, for some time now, um, and it's it's just great to watch, and it's nice actually being able to enjoy Rangers games when we go and play. Uh, the likes of Alwa and things like that. Yeah, I thought it was just really. I thought Rangers played really, really well. I just was really interested in because you know I've not really watched too much of Rangers this season. I also watched the Hibs game; was very impressed. But you know, just the way they moved the ball about, just such a difference from last year. Even just what, what you're saying about the fitness, you know, it's such an improvement from last year. I think one player you can see with the the difference in fitness. Is, Law. Well, I was going to say Lee Wallace. Right. Law as well. Um, I think has improved vastly on last season. The only the only Worry I would have is if we play, say for example, you know, we were to play Celtic again in the cup. He tends to go hiding in the very big games, um, but he's been much improved so far this season. But the way I mean, Wallace is just—it's ridiculous how much fitter he looks compared to last season. It's—it's it's ridiculous how much fitter all the players that are still here um, look compared to last season. But Wallace in particular, and I. I actually at the start at the end of last season after the playoff game, I I was one of the people that didn't want to see Wallace back at Rangers because I thought his performances um, had dipped to to a level that was sort of unbefitting of him of how good a player he actually is, and I think it didn't help with some of the dross that was around him um, that he got dragged down there, um, and and I certainly wouldn't have wanted to see, wanted him to see him um, be made captain, but I'm absolutely delighted that he's captain. You know the way he talks in the media. The way he handles himself, by all accounts, the way he handles himself in the dressing room, you know, he's a hundred percent the right the right choice, and I'm, I'm delighted with that as well. I'm just, it's difficult for me to put into words just how happy I'm with everything at Rangers just now. You know, it's it's absolutely fantastic. And on Nathan Adoa, how dare he do a bit of skill in Scottish football? How dare he come from England and perform a bit of skill in Scottish football? Outrageous! I think it's just it very much sums up. Uh, some of the mentality in Scottish and in, in, in the media a lot of the times, you know, if there's a negative story to be had, let's report that instead of the fact that Rangers played some great football, won five one, and lo and behold, uh, a young lad has came to Rangers and tried to entertain people. You know, what I mean? it's it's a complete non-story in my mind. I think well, it was, it was perhaps made a story by the comments from the 
the Alloa defender Hamilton, but um, I think Danny Lennon, I mean, you just need to listen to his comments, just kind of saying there's nothing wrong with it. And it's, there, is, there is nothing wrong with it. I mean, we're actually talking about a player performing. It wasn't even very good, the bit of skill he got tackled. I, I was going to say, I, I, I really wasn't impressed by it at all. But I think what we, we are failing to highlight there is that the story isn't, it didn't flick. The story is the comments. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not a story that's saying how dare he. The story is the comment. That, that was me that said that. The, the comment from um, Colin Hamilton saying, you know, saying that not necessarily um, you know, the other side, if you know what I mean. I just think for that, well, as you say, the story is the comments, but for those comments to overshadow what was a good win and the fact that it was actually quite an entertaining game of football. Um, is just ridiculous and is indicative of what we have in Scotland whereby let's focus on the negative or we can focus on the fact that actually there was a fantastic game of football uh, Rangers played some nice stuff I thought Aloha played some nice stuff at times as well Chopra's goal was fantastic Terrific goal, really good Chopra's goal was absolutely fantastic but hey, let's have a let's let's listen to, to, to the negative and, and, and let's make that the story the fact that the BBC then also ran uh, or put up a tweet yesterday to an article saying was it too far and you've got people saying that's absolutely ridiculous you know not just Rangers yeah. fans there was an Al- there's a comment from an Alwa fan saying yeah. it's like the way that it's, it's just entertainment you know mm. after all football is entertainment you know sports entertainment <laughs> yeah. I think I think Warburton's one of his main thing is, is send the, the fans, fans slash customers happy, happy. happy. away happy well, I mean he said that in his press conference yesterday if Messi comes and does that you know he does that um Everyone's ranting about it, but because for some reason this this lad has done it, we now need to focus on the fact that the defender he did it against wasn't very happy. Shock horror! A defender's a bit annoyed mm. that someone kind of get past him uh, with a trick, but then also give give away a foul two seconds yeah. after it. And I think it actually sorry, just interrupt you there. Takes away from the fact that when Adua came on, he was actually very very good. He was. For me, I, I don't think I want to leave that there. I don't want to take any because I think we're we're making it a story by talking about that. <laughs> I don't think it, for me, I don't think it took too much away. I think anyone with a football and brain knows that how good Rangers were on Sunday. I think people always know they're playing Aloha, who are probably going to be down the foot of that table, but it's still, for me, I think real football fans know that the main story on, on Sunday was Rangers' really good performance. Um, moving to League One, and where else to start? Cowden Beef fans, what's your favourite type of drink? It's 7-up, because they lost 7-1 to Dunfermline. Jesus. That's uh, That might be getting edited out. Um, <laughs> Dunfermline's last four games now, 4-1, 5-1, 6-1, and 7-1. How about an 8-1 on Tuesday night, corner? You know, anything's possible. I think what they've shown is exactly what I said a few, well, about a month ago now. They will absolutely walk that league um, with ease. And... You know, they've shown that they're a class above. I think Alan Johnson's done very, very well in his recruitment. It was a resounding victory. They've also got um, El Bactui up front, who is a strange one because he's actually been at club a couple of years now and has done nothing. Um, but this year, he's come in and he's you know performed to a very, very high level. I think that's him almost in 10 goals already for the season, um, which I don't think, I think, was it four he got last year or something like that? Um and the only problem with that is, you know, after another two goals, which was in the space of eight minutes on Saturday, yeah. um, clubs will come calling. 
and there certainly seems to be some rumours going about that several championship clubs are, are interested in taking them off them from his hands but certainly with it looking like they're going to be going up next year um, it'll take a decent offer to get them off them worrying though very much for Cowden Beast because mm. we're a team that you know I think even some people said they might like they might have saw Cowden Beast challenging at the top um, and so far they've not shown any of that um, and they're bottom you know, with minus seven goal difference, which of course comes from 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 that um, horrendous defeat to Dunfermline, but with zero points, but breaking in, in, in the Adrianians, uh, and already for their aspirations to be in the playoffs, like the Senesmere, Peterhead, Forfar, and Dunfermline are way way ahead of them already, and they'll be playing catch up from the start. So it's not a very good start for Colinish. And saying that, you look at their squad though, uh, and they do still have some decent um, championship. League One slash players in mm. their squad, but they were never going to compete with with what Dunfermline had. They've you know recruited very solidly. I think when you consider that Josh Falkingham was on the bench on Saturday for Dunfermline and came on after sixty minutes, I think that shows you everything to know. Um, as well as you know, like David Hopkirk and um, Jason Talbot, who've all been about you know that kind of level of Scottish football for a number of years. They're very very strong. And, and, and covered well across a host of positions, and I just think these sort of results four one five one six one now seven one only confirm that they'll walk that league. Yeah, I think so. I think their game, the upcoming game they've got in the League Cup at home to Dundee, is going to be an absolute classic. Um, and I'm really, I think I'll go along to that. I think that'll be really interesting to see how Dunfermline, who've been scoring all these goals against poorer teams get on in that step up because I, I think if they were in the championship right now I think they'd be comfortably mid-table in the championship the way they're playing anyway uh, elsewhere in, in League 1 on Saturday Air United beat Brecon 2-1 Forfar who played them firmly on Wednesday night got their own emphatic victory 4-0 over Albion Rovers who in turn had beaten Air 3-0 the first week so that's League 1 all over there um, Peterhead 4-0 winners away at Stranraer and Stenhouse Muir 2-1 winners over Air Dronians We'll quickly move to League 2 because we're running a wee bit short of time. Um, Annan Athletic 1, Stirling 1. I want to talk about Clyde a wee bit. I'll do that in a wee second. Uh, East 5, 5, Berwick nil. Pretty comfortable for East 5 there, yeah? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, Berwick were Pretty comfortable 5 nil winners. <laughs> Good question. Uh, Berwick, obviously, uh, were down to 10 men, but I believe they were 4 nil down at that point anyway. Um, but I think what that result shows, obviously, East 5 lost their opening game. Um, and Berwick won their opening game, so I think so. It just it shows how tight that league is. Uh, looking at the table, obviously Elgin have got six. Second uh, is Annan on four, and then from third place down to eighth, that's sorry, that's three teams. Yeah, sorry, three teams, six teams, uh, all on three points, and then wow. Stirling on one, and then Arbroath at the bottom with, with, with zero. So it's it shows that that league's going to be tight and. It's, it's very difficult to call at the moment. Um, there's certainly no real pattern emerging after the first two games as to, as to how that league's going to go. I was a bit surprised to hear about Clyde losing to Queen's Park 2-0 at home. Um, I admitted last week to not knowing much about, about Queen's Park, but uh, apparently Clyde did uh, edge the game in terms of chances. Jamie McKernan and Paul Woods were the goals there for Queen's Park. Uh, apparently a bit of discontent among the, the Clyde support, not helped by... I think um, the the kind of board's been having a bit of a go at the fans lately, a bit similar to East Fife. Uh, remember their whole thing that was completely understandable about the 
abuse of the the female physio yeah. in their first game, but um, I, 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 the, I, I, the terms of Clyde, uh, not actually owned by the fans, but well, a, anyway, know. what I've been hearing is that um, there's been a bit of a go at the Clyde fans. Apparently, right. now get ready to be a bit offended here for swearing at the football matches. Apparently, for for their for their foul language at the football matches. Don't know what has got into a club criticising their fans for swearing at the football. I may have got that story completely wrong, but that's what I took from it anyway. Um, on, on the pitch, though, not encouraging signs for Barry Ferguson. Um, I think stating the obvious, he'll be very disappointed with that result and they'll need to bounce back next week. The other results, um, Montrose 3 are both nil. Bit of a surprise there, I thought. Uh, and a bit of a kind of local game there. And also Elgin 4, East Stirling nil. So that brings uh, League 2 to a conclusion there. Time now for us to, to focus on a couple of the talking points. Starting off with your your kind of article that you put up yesterday on the our New Look website. Remember and give our New Look website a wee look. That's www.burstbottlefootball.wordpress.com. Give that a look and there's a good article there about your weekly look at attendances, Lewis. Do you want to just uh, quickly outline the whole BT Sky thing, the... the interesting um, stuff that may be coming in the future for Scottish football. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, BT uh, took up the rights after the SPN went went out of business, really, um, over two seasons ago. And, um, you know, I think the first ever... uh, First viewing figures they ever got was the Park Thistle and uh, Dundee United on a Friday night. They got 33,000 viewers for that. Uh, And in that season, I think the the highest was 100,000 Aberdeen Celtic, which was maybe a couple of weeks after that, I think, or maybe the week after, whatever. Uh, but basically, the, the premise is that the the viewership is actually improved week on week. Oh, no, sorry, the viewership is actually improved year on year, and um, almost to the extent to now where uh, in the opening week of the season, ninety six thousand watched um, uh, Hearts and St Johnston. Yeah. Now, uh, before that, the only uh, the only actually viewing, uh, the actually games that I bet that that figure beforehand were I think it was two Hearts Rangers games. There was uh, two Edinburgh derbies, mm. uh, Celtic Aberdeen, Celtic Aberdeen, and Dundee, a uh, Dundee derby as well. And th- these are all big games, big derby games. And Hearts and Johnston, now, yeah, okay, it's opening day of the season, but it's not a, you know, it's not a derby. It's not a huge game. Now, what this really means is that you know it puts the SPFL at a big advantage come you know renewal time, which will, I'm not actually sure what when it is. I think it's because uh, obviously we had that we had the kind of the we messed about with the contract when when Rangers went to the third division, but um, you know it's maybe in two years' time. And nevertheless, um, it puts the SPFL at a great advantage when you know that comes up because you know BT, you know, and BT and Sky are in a big kind of bidding war at the moment. And if BT say right, well, look at our look at our viewers. You know they're going up and up for Scottish football. Can you imagine if we get the old firm? Why don't we try go alone with this? Uh, that could that could possibly happen. And in Sky Sky's case, you know, uh, they'll obviously you know not want to lose Scottish football and and receive the bad press that that would you know that would garner. So um, it's it's just it's it's all about can the bosses at the SPFL can the clubs uh, can they utilize this and 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 see. The, the 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 lay of the land so to speak and and, and try and um, bargain with uh, yeah. BT and Sky and try and get a better deal because it's all down to that but the the, circ- the right circumstances are there to see uh, an increase in the, the TV deal come renewal time in a couple of years Is Scottish football that important to Sky, Connor? I have to say I have my doubts um, I think it can be I think they actually 
I was thinking they got to shape it in the way they wanted it to be, then it, they would take more interest. But at the moment, we're, we're in a competitive market with them, um, and it's trying to find kind of unique individual time slots. And I think if, the, if we were able to find something, that, a kind of niche that would enhance, then I think there would be a, a, not a lot of interest. I just feel that overall, when you compare BT and Sky, the coverage is, is vastly different. I think BT do a fantastic job at it. Um, and it's even just the time, you know, Sky very rarely come on much more than 50 minutes before kickoff. Whereas, you know, there's some games where BT will spend an hour before the match um, discussing, you know, what's happened throughout the last week and, and previewing it properly. Um, I think it's just really, really interesting that, um, you know, we, we've seen an increase in viewership with BT and, you know, they do a lot in terms of advertising for for Scottish football. They, as you say, the coverage is is far superior, whereas in Sky, you know, the viewership's been very stagnant. It's, it's, it's never really in, increased and I think that's because they've been put on, you know, Sky Sports 4 and, you know... Been, I, 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 think I, if, I think if we're talking about Sky, is Scottish football important? No. But are the old firm important? Yeah. Yes, the old firm. What well, what matters to Sky is Rangers and Celtic. It's not really what? anything else, and that's yeah. obviously that's still the case with BT. But what they're saying is, well, actually, we can also get these other support. We can get Rangers and Celtic, and we can get all the benefits they bring of viewership and that. But see if we actually put in a little bit more effort, and 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 when when it's Hearts or it's Hibs or it's whoever else in the the top flight, um, and we can we can also bring in more viewers as well, and we can just make it more worthwhile. Um, for for everyone, um, other than just making it worthwhile for 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 Rangers, the, the famous quote from a, a Sky executive. This was maybe a couple, maybe I don't know how long ago it was, but it was maybe five or ten years ago. The famous quote was that, uh, "Give me an old firm day game every single weekend, and we'll give you the same money we give to the Premier League." The that, that's the way say, they view uh, Scottish football. The only thing I would say is, in fairness, I was very impressed. Um, by Sky's overall coverage of the Cup final last year. Um, personally speaking, from the experience myself, um, I found them very keen to come in. And I think it was because, though, although it was still, you know, I've seen it from a, a Falkirk perspective, it was the Scottish Cup final, it was the showpiece event. But in saying that, I don't think in the lead up to the, the game, I don't think a day went by that they weren't within Falkirk Town Centre at the Falkirk Stadium given some sort of coverage um, so I do think it varies on what you're offering them and I think it goes back to what that quote you, know, you give them a cup final sorry you give them an old firm game and, and they'll really turn into it you give them a cup final and they really turn into it the problem is how do we get them to give that same level of kind of power into it and coverage week in week out the problem is you know quite simply Sky in Scotland don't have the staff um, you know, it's a famous, well, not famous, but it's something that I know. You know, if you're holding a press conference and you invite Sky Sports, it's great if they turn up, but you know that the minute Celtic or Rangers do anything that day, they're going to turn their car around and head the opposite direction. Quite simply because there is only one or two crews that actually work for Sky in Scotland. So, how much can the coverage? How much coverage can they give widely um, when there's only two crews? I mean, you probably consider those are the same two crews that have to make up the kind of programming for likes of a Saturday match or a Sunday match. You know, they do have limited limited resources in Scotland. Whenever it comes to the cup final, that all gets increased and, and all that sort of stuff or bigger matches, and that's where you see the heightened coverage. But 
part of me, you know, there's two sides to it. You know, they, they do have limitations in what they can actually do as it stands. Yeah, I remember talking to someone from one of the, the clubs in the Glasgow area and they made that point that it was one of the lesser clubs and if they bring a big story and and something immediately, even something negative happens at a, one of the old firm clubs, it's completely blown out the water because, and the thing he said to me is, the Sky Camera, the single Sky Camera will be taken to Ibrox or Parkhead. And for me, it goes back to the whole the whole argument about how we promote our game. Um, and it's quite fitting this week that we were talking earlier about Adoa, of how we, we promote our game. And I just think that, that not having more than one camera in the Glasgow area, if that's the way it works, or not one, maybe more than one camera crew, it's just it's completely laughable. I mean, you think it's this kind of hotbed for Scottish football. I think we should have stories coming all the time from all these clubs, positive, good stories. I appreciate I'm going off topic a wee bit in terms of the whole TV rights, but I just think that that's so important. Um, I, I want to move on anyway to an issue that's been well talked about in the Scottish media. I don't want to stay with it for too long. Just a quick, the quick feelings, the overall emotions of uh, Scott Allen's transfer to Celtic. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, quite, I'm quite happy it's happened. Um, I think it's happened very, very quickly. I think we only really heard about this on last Tuesday. Yeah, the rumours started, and then it was confirmed that the rumours were right, and then you know signed on the Thursday. So it's it's been a very, very quick turnaround. I think Hibs were, Hibs wanted it off order. I think he probably would have went down south, but I, I don't know if Alan really wanted to move down south. Well, he's just he's. I think he's just had a kid very recently, so I think yeah. that was a big reason for him. For him, mm. for obviously, from my perspective, I'm just kind of glad it's over. Do you know what I mean? The, I think everyone is, to yeah, be totally I, honest. I, mean, I dragged on. I say I've said it. I don't think I've said it on the pod, but I, I've said it to you guys just when we were discussing it. I would have been happy had Scott Allen signed for Rangers. He, yes, he would have added something, but at the same time, I'm perfectly fine with the fact that he didn't come to Rangers. I'm happy with our midfield. I think. Uh, I think today the rumour is that we're going to be bringing in John Swift from Chelsea, who by all accounts is, is, is a very promising talent and, and someone from Arsenal as well. I don't think there's yeah. been a name uh, that's been rumoured. Um, well, there's been a few names, but not, not real any one name in particular. For Scott Allen, um, I mean, I think Ross said it to us as well. He would have rather have seen him gone to Rangers just because for his progression and the fact that he'd probably get more game time. Mm. That's probably true. Um, but from my point of view, I'm just happy it's over, um, and I'll be happy when the when I can watch a Mark Warburton press conference where he doesn't get asked about it um, as well, and and can just focus on the fact that we're doing very well on the park. Apparently, Scott Allen was asked yesterday if he'd had an initiation song sang in the dressing room, and a journalist asked him if it was simply the best that he'd sung. Um, my opinion is very similar. I think that it's it's time to move on, let him do his talking on the pitch. I think it's a good piece of business for Celtic and Hibs. I don't think Rangers need them this season. Well, I know Rangers don't need them this season because they win the league comfortably anyway. Uh, where the argument will come later on is if Celtic meet Rangers in a cup this season, perhaps that's when the whole argument will, will raise its head I just again. Think, yes, it's he, he's a, he was a Rangers fan. I don't think anyone's disputing that. I think what he said yesterday, I think there's very much evidence out there to counter the fact that his support of Rangers wasn't exaggerated. But at the end of the day, he is looking out for himself. Um, I think it's very rare now in football that you'll find anyone um, with any loyalty to you know if they if they can make money now. By all accounts, Rangers, according to I think it was Keith Jackson, were offering Alan the same money um, as he would have been on at Celtic. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, I think it's about 
Between seven, eight, eight and ten eight, grand. Yeah, I've heard seven grand. As I say, I, I, I'm not entirely sure. I think, as I say, though, he's looking out for himself. He's looking out for his family. I'm not. I'm not going to say that I wish him well or anything like that because he's signed for Celtic. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's, it's just what happens when you're a football fan. But I'm just happy it's over. Um, there isn't that much loyalty left. I, I expected, to be honest, if Celtic spoke to him, that he would go to Celtic. Just as I expected, if Rangers did get the chance to, to formally enter talks with him that he would sign for for Rangers so as I say I think it's time for everyone to move on I'm sure the next time the two play each other it will come up again Um, but as I say from a Rangers point of view we've had better players we've had bigger players you know not you know knock us back and things like that and, and, and we'll be fine yeah just we're running out of time, so I just want to quickly talk about the the kind of loan market for Scottish clubs, and it's one that's certainly in these economic times as is, is kind of been more prominent. I mean, you look at the likes of Adoa, who we talked on earlier for Rangers, and also denied at Celtic last year. These players seem. I mean, we all know about Celtic and Rangers' objective. Uh, Celtic certainly, I think Rangers are, are starting to realise this: is that you're not going to get the great players in their peak. You need to get the the raw players bring them on and then sell them for huge profit. But even loan deals look as if they might be the way it works now. Well, I mean, like cert- the denier. Uh, well, I'd certainly, as you were talking about Rangers there, with Dominic Ball uh, and Adua, both are out of contract next summer. So the the objective there could be, well, if, if they have a good season was this season, then maybe we can, we can get them um, for free next summer. Same with John Swift, if he were to come in. Uh, as well, I do think it's a market that Scottish teams need to look at more. There's some fantastic quality you can get in the loan market, um, and I think, t- uh, well, I think the best example is teams in the lower leagues. England use it fantastically well. A lot of the time, you know, they get real quality players in, even if it's just for. I mean, you see sometimes players only going for month loan deals and things like that, but it still has a has a big difference and things like that. Uh, and and. I think it's just it's something that maybe Scottish teams haven't used too well uh, over the past few years, but I certainly think now, as you said, with Denier, it sailed it last season, and now with the likes of Adua um, and, and Ball, it remains to be seen. Obviously, it's only been they've only been here less than a week, but it, it certainly seems as though Scottish teams are starting to wake up to that fact. Are loans positive for for Scottish clubs, Connor? In the main, I think so. I think it's a market that has to be exploited. And you know it's it's one that you know you can sometimes find that hidden gem from uh, taking team players from England. You know sometimes I think managers can be sceptical on doing it because inevitably they're signing somebody that yes he's unknown to fans, but in many ways he's unknown to the management. And just because an Everton, an Arsenal, other people say this guy's a good player, you know doesn't necessarily make him a good player if you're talking about younger guys in England. I think there's risks to it, but. As I say, if you can find that hidden gem, I mean, you know, you look just now, I know I'll get fined here for, for linking it back, but inevitably, you know, Anthony Stokes, that's how he became in the light in Scottish football when he, he came up on to Falkirk on loan from Sunderland, uh, sorry, Arsenal, um, yeah. and then he went obviously to Sunderland after that. So there's certainly, uh, certainly a good, in terms of its, it can be risky, but for both parties, it often works out quite well. You know, if the club can get a decent player out of a couple of months, he can put himself in a short window. I don't think it's a negative, and I think it's something that definitely won't improve the game and the standard. It's something that has to be exploited. Yep. Well, that brings this week's podcast to a close there. Thanks very much, guys. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, if you feel the need to do it, you can. We're at Burstball Fitball. 
Also on Facebook, we're the Burst Boss Scottish Football Podcast. And also, you can check our new website out. Lots of good stuff, hopefully, going up there in the next week or so. We'll be back later on in the week with a preview for this weekend's games. Um, We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please tell a friend about us and we'll speak to you soon.